The Bible is clear. Women cannot be ministers. When Jesus first appeared after his resurrection, he appeared to a woman and he chose to tell her to tell the others the gospel. And who did he tell her to tell? The disciples who were all men. So clearly Jesus only wanted men, his disciples, to be the ones spreading the news of the gospel and salvation that he rose again, or else he wouldn't have told her to tell the men. The Bible After Hours. Can you hear me? Is, is this thing on? Okay, good. I am the foul-mouthed preacher, and this is the underground church. The word vulgar originally just meant to speak the common language of the people. That's what I'm going to do here today. I am going to use strong language at times, but only in aims to talk the, the common language of the people, not just trying to say bad words for bad words' sake. So this is warning if you have children with you, maybe listen to this some other time. The church above wants to keep women from speaking, from ministering, and from leading others in the church. They have misinterpreted scripture, intentionally manipulated how scripture was translated, ignored church history, and focused only on the parts of scriptures that support their argument, ignoring parts of scriptures that don't support their argument, and straight up lying just to keep women from leadership. It's fucked up. I don't know if this is because they're sexist, if they're just power hungry, full of shit, maybe, um, or if they've just fooled themselves, maybe. But it sickens me. It sickens me to see how many people are left completely in the dark on this issue, and to see how many women suffer or are held back from their callings because of it. And I know this is not all of the church. A lot of the church is doing great. This is probably one of those half-and-half half issues. But it's still important to talk about. I really hate how women are treated in the church. Um, I understand there's different arguments. Some of them maybe are good. I don't understand the other side on this one. I really don't. Um, I try to be respectful. I still love them as Christians. There's a lot wrong here. A lot of history that's just really fucked up. And it's important that we talk about it. I grew up in a mostly conservative church. But I've also been around and learned from women pastors in that denomination my entire life. Um, so I had no idea that a lot of churches didn't allow women to be pastors until I was older. I might have known that the Catholic Church didn't really, but we never thought of them as real Christians, you know. So the church I grew up with, um, you know, they hated gay people like you're supposed to. They were against racial justice like any other good Christian group. Um, they all voted Republican, but they had women ministers. When I heard the arguments that people had against women as pastors and saw how they used the same kind of reasoning that the church I went to used to hate the LGBTQIA plus community, to hate immigrants, and to hate people who disagreed with them politically, that's part of what led me to my initial deconstruction and kind of reevaluating what I was told. Because that kind of reasoning of being anti-women pastors, I thought was just dumb. So I had to reevaluate all of my beliefs because a lot of it used similar reasoning. Eventually, I realized that the church was wrong on many things later on um, that I just always accepted growing up. That's why I eventually I found a more accepting and loving denomination to join with. Um, I, I found that the arguments I heard that focus on certain qualifications Paul gave to particular people on a particular position weren't even really about pastorship. Um, they would misinterpret Ephesians 5. A lot of churches misinterpret Ephesians 5. 
um, to say that women should submit and that men should rule like Christ rules. Uh, you know, they, they didn't know the part that Christ died for and served and submitted himself to his disciples in the church. They kind of ignored that part. They ignored the part of Ephesians that says, submit one to another right before it explains how wives and men should behave towards each other. And they had excuses to cover up the parts of scripture that show women ministering, that show women as heads of the original churches, the verses that explicitly say that there is now no male or female seen. How they ignored this, how they selected certain scriptures, took things out of context, avoided other things, seeing this opened my eyes to the fact that a lot of the church cares more about their opinions and their power than they do scripture even. The argument I'm going to make today, even though you guys, you guys know, I don't, I don't follow inerrancy. I don't follow a literal interpretation of scripture, but I think if you did, this argument's still true. I'm sure in the Bible where even if you believed inerrancy, even if you believe the Bible was literal. There is no argument that women should not be pastors in the church today. That makes any sense. If you've ever felt like the church is too sexist for you, or like it undervalues women, then this, this show is for you. If you've ever wondered about the history of the church and its women leaders, this show is for you. And if you want an example of both a strong woman leader in the Bible and how good men of God obey female leaders that God placed over them, this episode is for you. We've been going through the book of Judges, went through chapters 1 through 2 to see how God cares about politics last time. This time, we're observing the story of Deborah. Judges 4 and 5. Yes, I'm skipping 3. I didn't care about those stories. The earliest two pieces of literature in the Bible that were written were two songs. One is in what we're talking about today, the Song of Deborah in Judges 5, I believe. Um... So just four or five of the story of Deborah. I think five is just the song. The song of Miriam is the other one, which is in Exodus 16, the song of Moses and Miriam. Um, and they were likely written before anything else in the Bible was ever written. Uh, we know this because of archaeology, and we know this because of linguistic styles and the etymology of the terms used. Just like if part of a writing, if you were to read something that I typed part of it, and then another part was written by William Shakespeare, even if we were seeing similar things and the, like the pieces fit together, you could still tell the parts that Shakespeare wrote were written way earlier. Like it would be super obvious with the vowels and the thighs and the different English terms that we don't use anymore. Like a, a lot of shit just wouldn't sound the same at all because it's from two completely different time periods. The same thing happens here. They didn't use citations or anything in ancient Hebrew. They just kind of plugged stuff in. In our earliest copies of these manuscripts, it's very obvious that the writing of these songs had ancient etymology that went way further back than the other things. So the rest of Hebrew is probably written like 5th century BCE. This was written more like 12th century. So like 700 years before the rest. Um, and also, it makes total sense. You know, songs and storytelling were some of the earliest forms of storytelling, documentation, all that stuff. Um, and keeping things in poem and songs would help you memorize it and pass it down from generation to generation. So it makes sense that this is how the first things we have would come to us. The important part of this, the first contributors to the Bible were likely women. Not many other religions could ever say that. Some of the first pastors of the church were also women. Some of the first deacons and saints were women. The first person to ever preach the gospel of Jesus Christ's resurrection was a woman, when there was a woman that Jesus chose himself. The Bible was the loudest and strongest ally for women 
in history for an extremely long time. So what happened? What happened got us to the point we are today, this fucked up place where women are looked down on in many churches. It was a slow and sad fading, likely caused by people who were trying to hold to really exact and literal translations of the Bible rather than looking at the trajectory of the biblical narrative. I'm going to get back to the stuff that could be true whether you believe in Nancy or not. But for now, let's assume that Nancy's stupid, because that's typically what I assume. In other words, uh, think, think about it like this. Instead of building on what was established by the Bible, in the direction that the biblical authors and the people of the Bible were going, a lot of church put a, puts a lot of effort into stagnating the church, to refusing to grow past what the church was at the end of the Bible. They want to stay right there and not grow. In the time when women weren't allowed to speak or be political leaders at all, when women ministers and other religions were just prostitutes of the temples, in that time, the church was extremely progressive at the end of the Bible. To have any women doing anything at all was progressive. To have women ministers who weren't just prostituting themselves was progressive at that time. But as the rest of the world has grown and it's become better, the church continues to try to resist any change. And now the church is often the worst woman. It's fucking sad. I'm going to go through some examples real quick. Catherine of Alexandria in the second century, this powerful saint, she was, is the patron saint of philosophy and of young women. She was a minister. She was a warrior. It's said that she stood up to many Greek philosophers and debated them all and won them all to Jesus. I forget how many it was, but it, it was a shit ton and not realistic. There were also, not that long ago, a lot of the shit that's been going on has been kind of fucking recent. Um, SBC pastors, Southern Baptist pastors, there were a lot of women pastors in the SBC not even that long ago. Um, because even though they had one set of beliefs, whatever, the SBC has this, every church is kind of self-governing. So some churches can just disagree with others and still be part of the same denomination. So there were a lot of women pastors, even though that the overall church was mostly against that. Um, look to Beth Moore. She's this woman author who grew up in the SBC, recently left it like five years ago, not even five years ago, actually. Powerful woman speaker, powerful leader of the church who had to leave because the church is getting more and more toxic towards women. More and more stories of the SBC and rape and sexual assaults coming out. More and more stories of the Catholic church. More and more stories of other denominations in the church. It's not any particular denomination's fault, but that sexual assault runs rampant as the church becomes more and more toxic towards women and its behavior towards women leaders in the church. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think when you look at the Bible, righteousness begets righteousness. When we're following the Bible and following God's way, things end up turn out good. You know, good teaching produces good fruit. But also, shit begets shit. So as we teach shit and shitty doctrine, what we're going to end up with is people acting shitty. And that's what we've been seeing. Fun fact, the Catholic Church didn't officially have a statement against the ordination of women until 1976. Not even 50 years ago. The SBC didn't change its doctrine to officially be against women pastors until the year 2000. Most of us were alive for it. The church isn't just not changing and saying, oh, we can't change things, we can't possibly ordinate women. They're actually just getting worse. It's fucking scary. It's sad. And something needs to be done about it. So then we turn to the Bible. Even if you're not looking at what chronologically was written first, this is for all my inerrancy people. The rest of this is for you guys. Buckle up. Adam and Eve. 
Those first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, very similar to the Egyptian Mesopotamian stories of creation. What was the difference? Woman didn't come from man's foot. Woman came from man's side. They were created equal. Man wasn't given dominion over woman and creation, or man wasn't given dominion over creation. Man and woman was given dominion together over creation and equality. We look at Moses. Moses and Aaron and Miriam were all kind of a team. Miriam was an important figure in the Moses story, not because she was subservient or because she had a good husband. She was important in of herself. She had value of herself. Today we're talking about Judges 4 and 5. This is one of those sad stories that gets told incorrectly in a lot of churches. Here's the version a lot of people heard. Deborah was married to Dude Man. Dude Man was called by God, and he said, oh, I don't know if I could do it. And because he was such a wuss, God sent a woman instead. Deborah went, and then the other guy on the other side of the army was also a wuss, so a woman killed him. And that's why women were given power, because men weren't stepping up and being real men and acting like men should. That's a bunch of bullshit, if you heard that version. That's not what it says at all. Judges 4 says it starts with Deborah. And so look at Judges 4, verse 4. It starts with Deborah, now Deborah, a prophetess. This version says the wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at that time. I'm going to break this statement down. First off, a prophetess, that was an important designation. This is God's chosen spokesman person, spokeswoman person for the nation, was Deborah. Not a second choice because the man didn't do it, none of that. No, God chose Deborah to be his spokesperson to the country. At a time when Israel was led directly by God. They didn't have a king or queen or anything. This was a theocracy. God's highest appointed person was the person who spoke on God's behalf, was Deborah the prophetess. Next statement, the wife of Lapidoth. Lapidoth doesn't really appear to be a name in any other context. If you're looking at like what it actually says in the Hebrew language, there is no of woman Lapidoth. I mean, maybe, given how people designate names, a lot of women at that time were identified by who they were married to. So this could be a good translation. Life of Lapidoth might actually be a good translation. Um, could also be where she was from. Maybe it was the woman of Lapidoth. This was a town she was from. That's also would be a good translation. Also, the word like lapid or something like that is Hebrew for fiery. It's possible what it was saying is she was a fiery lady. She had a lot of attitude. Could be what it was saying. Um, if, if you look at the Hebrew closely, it's possible. It's just saying that Deborah was this woman of color. We know she was Hebrew who was spicy, fiery personality, who was also the leader and spokesman person of God at the time. Deborah's a cool-ass character. It says that Deborah, prophetess, person of Lapidoth, who knows what that means? I'm going to say fiery chick. Deborah, a prophetess, the fiery woman, fiery personality, was judging Israel at the time. Judging Israel doesn't mean she was a judge deciding whether or not they were doing the laws right or wrong. And this time, the judge was the person who worked for God to determine justice for Israel. So she was overseeing the nation. Not only was she God's spokesman person, she was also the overseer of the nation of Israel on behalf of God. Deborah wasn't the second choice. Deborah was already the anointed, the one of God for Israel. Then the person she talked to wasn't even her husband. Whenever Israel started being judged for its terrible actions, it was getting, you know, punished and Deborah was the one to step up to get Israel out of the shit that they got themselves into. 
she sent word. Look at verse 6. She sent word and summoned Barak, the son of whoever. So they weren't together. Barak and Lapidoth are two different names. There's nothing that indicates that this was her husband or anything at all. She says to him that God commanded, you need to go and do this thing. And he says, I'm not going to go without you. Not because he's afraid or anything. The Bible doesn't say any of that. That's stuff that people made up because pastors wanted to make a point. Pastors wanted it to be about men needing to stand up and be real warriors. Replace Deborah with Elijah. Tell me if we're reading a story in the Bible, how many pastors you think would say when a warrior was called to battle, he said he wouldn't go without the prophet, that they would say, oh, it's because that warrior was a wuss. No, they'd say that warrior cared a lot about the person of God being there in the battle. That that's actually an honorable and admirable thing to do. The Bible doesn't say otherwise. There's no reason not to think that that's what God wanted. In fact, if it wasn't what God wanted, either God would have said no, or the person would have been punished. That doesn't happen. Now, they, they, say, they say that he was punished because when he came and said that, Deborah said back to him, okay, you'll win, but you're not going to get the credit. A woman's going to get the credit. And they think that that was meant to be a punishment? It doesn't say that. It's not there. Maybe a woman gets the credit because a woman was leader of Israel, because women were supposed to be empowered the whole time. Maybe that's the point of the story isn't men didn't step up, so God let women do it. Because, again, Deborah was a prophetess. She was the judge before this. The point is that women deserve to be in leadership, that women deserve credit. The point of the story is an equality story. The point of the story is that the man did exactly what he was supposed to do. He submitted to the prophetess, to the leader of Israel. That is what he was supposed to do. That's why he won the battle. That's why God led Jael, the wife of Heber, to kill Sisera. She had no reason to kill the person, but she does. She tricks Sisera. This guy flees from the army that was, you know, the one representing the persecutors of Israel, flees, goes to this tent of an ally, Jael, the wife of somebody else, is there. They're supposed to be keeping peace. But instead, she drives a stake through the guy's temple and kills him. So she gets credit for the victory. Rightfully so, because she killed him. No man was punished for not being a leader here. No man was called to be a leader here. This has nothing to do with men at all. But I, I think it speaks more towards the ego of current ministers that they have to throw in there, that it must be God punishing him. It must be something else. It can't be God's plan all along that women were supposed to do it, even though that's sort of what the Bible says. They ignore what the Bible says in favor of a narrative that supports their hierarchy of male over female. And it's sick. It's fucking gross. I love a lot of these people. I think maybe they're just blind to what's going on. I don't understand. I think maybe they're just taught what they were taught. I I think maybe it's the system that's fucking gross. But it is gross. And I think this bad theology is what continues to create bad behaviors in the church. Then we look at the Bible and what it says about deacons and elders. You have this whole scandal, especially with the ESV, of different translations coming up and intentionally translating things So it's not exactly what the Bible says or translating it so that when it's talking about women, it'll say one word. And when it's talking about men, it says a different word. They go through and intentionally make it seem like the Bible only says these things about the church leaders being men. Only have these requirements of a man of one wife and stuff for men who are meant to be ministers. And they act like there is no command or anything for women who are ministers, even though that's not really what the Bible says. 
you look at First Timothy two is one place where you know it talk, Paul does talk about women not having the ability to um, construct men or to not speak up and loud. Again, remind you, the other religions at the time, women ministers who are speaking up in the temple are the prostitutes. Strong chance he's not wanting them to appear as prostitutes when someone from outside the temple comes in, and that's all the context they have is that women who speak up are prostitutes. There's a lot of other explanations for this, but he's t- but it does seem like he's talking to a specific people for a specific purpose. Now, it doesn't mean it's not applicable in some way today. That verse very well could. If it was the only verse, could be used to say that women shouldn't be leaders. Ephesians 5, that's just a bad translation. They ignore the fact that there weren't chapters when it was written. So originally it was written to say, everyone submit to one another. Women submit to your husbands as church submits to Christ. Men submit to your women as Christ submitted to the church, even to death. The whole purpose is equality. Equal submission in Ephesians 5. So that one just dumb argument. Then we look at 1 Timothy 3.11. And in the midst of chapter 3 in 1 Timothy, Paul is talking about the deacons and what they should do. And this is one of those places it gets translated badly. He, What he says when he's talking about the requirements for deacons, he also has a requirement for women deacons. He says, women do this. And he continues to give the rest of the qualifications for the deacons. The ESV and some other more sexist translations, in my own opinion, will say, the wives of the deacons should do this. But that's not what's said. It doesn't say of deacons or anything. It says women do this, implying that there are women deacons and this is what they should be doing. Look at Romans 16. One of the most disgusting things for, for me. In, in 16.1, this person, Phoebe, Paul's having sent out the letter. He says that she is a deacon of the church. But most of our Bibles are going to say she was a servant of a particular church. The word that he uses here, Paul uses it 22 different times in our New Testaments that most of us have. Three times, that word's translated to say as the word deacon or pastor in English. 18 times of the 22 times, when we translate this word that Paul uses into English, we translate it as minister. And only one time, When Paul uses this word, do we translate it as the word servant? And that's when he's talking about a woman. Because people just don't like the idea of there being a woman deacon or a woman minister. Because usually we translate that word as minister. And they're just scared of that idea. So they translate it different to fit their theology rather than to fit what that word actually would imply and mean in this instance. But it's worse than that, right? For an extremely long time, up till the Middle Ages... Mary Magdalene was called the Apostle to the Apostles because Jesus comes after he dies. The first person he comes to is Mary Magdalene, and he tells her to go preach the gospel that he is born again to the disciples. He has her be the one to spread the gospel. He chooses a woman as the minister. We look at Julia. as another woman minister of the Bible. We look at Priscilla. That's someone who corrected Paul, and Paul took that correction in the book of Acts. When, when Paul lists the leaders of the home churches, he lists Chloe, a woman, Lydia, a woman, Athea, a woman, and Nympha, another woman. Women leaders were there from the very beginning of the church in the Bible. The first apostle to the apostles, a woman. First minister of the gospel, a woman. The first contributors to the Bible, women. There is no reason not to support women pastors, elders, and bishops. This just doesn't exist. The church tries to retain power for men because, you know, they want to look at just the verses that say 
oh, women shouldn't construct men, and ignore all the examples where women do, ignore the places where it tells women what women deacons should do, ignore the places where it talks about a woman deacon, ignore where it says a woman minister, ignore where someone, a woman corrects Paul, they ignore the fact that a woman's the first preacher of the gospel, just so they can uphold this doctrine that doesn't make any biblical sense. The church has tried to retain power for men that the Bible never taught was there. Much has been done in the Middle Ages to revoke Mary Magdalene's position of apostle to the apostles. That way, they can keep their Christian nationalism, because it wasn't good for the politics at the time to believe there could be a woman leader. So they revoked it. Christian nationalism has just existed that long. Stuff's still being done today to demean women in the church, because it doesn't fit their idea of nationalism. They don't want women leaders. But it's an unbiblical thing. Even if you're not upholding my thing of the trajectory of the Bible, meaning that we need to be more and more progressive, even if you're just going back to what the Bible's view of womanhood is, they went backwards, not forward. There's a lot of sick shit in the Bible of if a woman's raped, the raper should marry her so that she still has worth because people at that time thought that anyone who was used no longer has any worth. That's disgusting. That's why I can't hold a doctrine of inerrancy because a lot of the stuff in the Bible is just gross and seems to not be of God at all, by our standards today. I think the call was for us to progress, to be more inclusive, to be more loving, to uplift women in leadership positions even more today. But even if we're going to do away with my position and just stick to where the Bible was, the Bible itself is more progressive than a lot of our churches today are. And that's just gross. You don't have to agree with me that women should be pastors or anything like that. I know a lot of the Catholic doctrines that the priest is a representative of Christ, so the priest should be a man. Of course, there's this issue with um, Christ was also a Hebrew. So does that mean every priest should be Hebrew? They don't say that. How much does the embodiment matter to you really? Uh, only if only the gender part? I don't get it. I really don't. Um, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with me on this, but I just don't get it. I think what we've done to the progress of women in leadership in the church from the time of the New Testament and Paul to today is disgusting. And I love a lot of people who disagree with me, even though I still think that that storyline is gross. And that storyline is just history. And that saddens me deeply. One thing I would like everybody to do, um, pick up and read this book, The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. She does a really good job expanding and showing the history of women leaders in the church throughout, throughout the last couple thousand years. And it does sadden me where the church is at now. But to see where the church has been and where it can be, she provides me a lot of hope. And I hope that it will provide you hope as well. Lots of the word hope. Let's look at one more one more verse. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. A lot of people like to throw out, it says women shouldn't be leaders in the church. And they don't like to throw out all these other examples and verses that, that go against their view. So this is one that I want to throw out in favor of my side. You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there is now no Jew, no Greek. There is no slave, no free. There is no male, no female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all completely equal in Jesus now. Men and female, neither one has more value than the other. Jew and Greek, no one has more value than one another based off their race, based off their gender, based off anything. Because we're all one. In Jesus. That's where our true identity lies today. So let's be more like Deborah, the fiery woman, <laughs> fiery woman of color who led and was God's spokesperson 
to the people of Israel in the book of Judges. And let's be more like Barak, the one who obeyed God's spokesperson, the woman leader chosen by God, who obeyed and said, I don't want to do anything without the person of God next to me. Let's normalize. Let's submit. Let's do the work of God together. Let's continue to grow as the church instead of trying to stagnate and stay in one spot. Part of the gospel is equality. So let's wipe the dust off our feet when we're preaching the gospel of equality, even if we're preaching in the church and they don't want to accept it. Wipe the dust off, keep going. Don't turn to hating them or battling the church or anything like that. Just go somewhere else. Spread the gospel. If your church won't hear it, just go somewhere else. Keep spreading it. Jesus died for us. There is no male or female now. We're all one in Christ. If we accept salvation, believe that he died and rose again for us, we are all one. Let's work together for the purpose of the church, for the purpose of unity. Men, please obey the women that God has placed in leadership and authority over you and honor them. Willingly give them honor. Give them the honor that they have earned themselves. Don't be power hungry. And don't try to keep the credit for yourself. There are plenty of women who are already doing this thing. And the best thing I can do is try to be an ally. Um, I, I wish we heard more women speaking about these things. And, and we do. We hear a lot. Um, unfortunately, I can't be a woman for this conversation. The best I could do is tell you to go listen to women. Go listen to Beth Allison Barr. Go find Beth Moore's recent book. Read it. Obey, honor, respect the women of God. They're doing great work. They always have, and I think we need to honor them more. I think if we honor women and normalize equality in the church, in the underground church here, maybe the maybe the above-ground church will have a revival. Maybe they'll return to the more progressive roots of the church. Maybe less women will be sexualized or assaulted in churches. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe the world will see us as a light, lifting up powerful women leaders, rather than a place of darkness that tries to subdue women in a toxic environment. Maybe we'll see less sexual assault. Maybe we can make the gospel appear as appealing as it really is if we would just live it out. Guys, I don't want you to share this on your public social media accounts or anything like that. It might offend some people. You know, I say fuck sometimes. I think I just said fuck. I don't know. It'll offend some people. So let's not share it on our public social media accounts. Um, instead, I want you to share this with just one friend or family member who you think might benefit from hearing this that you think would engage in a meaningful conversation about women in leadership with you. Um, also, would really like it if you would go find a, a local place near you that was owned by women. Find places that are owned by women and support them as much as you can. Because our society really kind of does a shitty job at it. And our churches have done an even worse job. And I would love it if we could be a light in the darkness here. Let's bring women ministers back to the church. Let's honor and obey the women above us. And let's bring the church back to the common people. Thank you for listening. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, go to the website in the description below. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.